today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. If I can come back from such profound disability to such a rich and full life, I want all of your listeners to know, even if your physician said, there's nothing more I can do, that's fine. Let them do whatever they can do or not do. Just focus on improving the health of yourselves. And because life is self-correcting biochemistry, we might be quite surprised with how much recovery might be possible. Dr. Terry Walls is an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner and conducts clinical research using functional medicine principles in the setting of multiple sclerosis. In 2018, she was awarded the Institute for Functional Medicine's Linus Pauling Award for her contributions in research, clinical care, and patient advocacy. Dr. Walls has secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, which confined her to a tilt-recline wheelchair for four years. Dr. Walls restored her health using a diet and lifestyle program she designed specifically for her brain and now pedals her bike to work each day. She is the author of The Walls Protocol, a radical new way to treat all chronic autoimmune conditions using paleo principles. You can learn more about her current study, The Efficacy of Diet on Quality of Life in Multiple Sclerosis at terrywalls.com forward slash MS study. Today, we talk with Dr. Walls about what it truly takes to heal from autoimmune diseases based on the research and the evidence. We also talk about the exciting new summit that Dr. Walls has coming up where she recorded over 50 interviews and is giving this information away for free to people who wanna heal from autoimmune conditions. If you or someone you love have an autoimmune disorder, today's episode is for you. Before we get started though, I wanna talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that of course is lab testing. Testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. If you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you're placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. Rupa is the best way to order, manage and track results from over 30 different labs in one single place for free. Thank goodness. No need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. If you're a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create your free account today. Now, let's start the show. Dr. Terry Walls, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. We are so excited you're here. You're arguably the most famous MS and nutrition researcher on the planet. And part of your incredible story is how you managed to take the science of nutrition and use it to heal yourself. Will you tell us that story? Sure. So, you know, I'm an internal medicine doc. I was diagnosed in 2000. And at that time, I had developed weakness. I saw my neurologist who says, Terry, this could be bad or really bad. And as I'm going through the workup for the next three weeks at night and bed next to Jackie, I'm thinking about the fact I've already had 20 years of worsening electrical face pain. So actually, I'm praying for a rapidly fatal diagnosis because I don't want to become disabled. Three weeks later, I get my spinal tap, and then I'm told it's multiple sclerosis. I do my research. I find the best MS center in the country, and I see the best physician take the newest drugs. And three years later, I hear tilt, recline, wheelchair. I take mitoxantrone. I take Tizabri. Nothing helps. I'm continuing to steadily worsen. Then I'm switched to Celsept. My face pain continues to worsen. My 10-year-old daughter hugs me as tears stream down my face. I ask myself, am I really doing all that I can? And i that's when I start reading the basic science, reading animal models of MS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. 
And I decide that mitochondrial dysfunction is what drives disability. And so I create a supplement cocktail to support my mitochondria. And it slows my decline. And I'm super grateful, but I'm still declining. Then I discover a study using electrical stimulation of muscles. I ask my physical therapist, can I try that? He calls it E-STEM. He says it's for athletes. He does give me a test session and it hurts bad, really bad. But when it's over, I feel great. He says that's probably the endorphins. And we add E-STEM to my physical therapy. At that same time, I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. They have a course on neuroprotection. I take that, more mitochondria, more biochemistry, a longer list of supplements, which I add. And then I have a big aha. And Kate, I laugh at myself like it's embarrassing how long it took to have this aha. What if I redesign my paleo diet, which is really the AIP diet, by the way, based on what I had learned from functional medicine? in the long list of supplements I had from my research in functional medicine. And I redesign, it takes more research to figure out where this is in the food supply. And so I start this new wave eating December 26, 2007. Now for your audience, you should know that at that point, I am so weak, I cannot sit up. And it's been actually quite some time since I've been able to sit up. I'm in a zero gravity chair with my knees higher than my nose. And that's how I staff residents in the resident clinic. That's how I eat my meals with my family. I can take just a few short steps with walking sticks, two walking sticks. And my trigeminal neurologist is relentlessly worse. In fact, when it turns on, light will trigger the pain, sound triggers the pain, swallowing triggers the pain, talking triggers the pain. And so I've rewritten my durable medical power of attorney such that if I stop talking, because when you try to talk, it triggers the pain. I just essentially become nonverbal and I'm drooling when the pain is on so that there'd be no IV fluids. And so it's like, okay, eventually things would end. So I've redesigned my paleo diet this very particular way. I start this new way of eating December 26. Then I go off to the traumatic brain injury clinic where I had been reassigned by my boss because he's trying to force my hand to finally applying for a medical disability. In the first two weeks, I just watch my partners from my zero gravity chair. And then the third week on Monday, I see patients and I'm standing up, examining them, sitting down, writing my notes. And I come home that night and my wife, Jackie, says, how'd it go? And I'm like, that wasn't too bad. And then on Friday, I have to, I'm like, maybe I can do this. And then I say, honey, could I sit in a regular chair? So it was the first time in years I sit with my family at the dinner table having supper. And then my physical therapist, who I'm seeing a couple days a week, says, Terry, you're definitely getting stronger. And he advances my exercises. Now I'm doing the E-STEM and my exercises 10 minutes twice a day. And then we keep advancing. And then I begin walking with two walking sticks in the hallway, stunning my colleagues. And then with one walking stick and then with no walking sticks. And then on Mother's Day, we have an emergency family meeting because I want to try riding my bike, which I haven't done in six years. And so Jackie tells my six foot five, 16 year old son, Zach, Zach, you run alongside on the left. And she tells my 13 year old daughter, Zebby, you run alongside on the right. And she'll follow. And we get in position and she gives you all clear. I push off and I bike around the block. Now, that big 16-year-old boy, he's crying 
the 13-year-old girl, she's crying. Jackie's crying. When I talk about that moment, I begin to cry even now because, you see, it was at that moment that I began to understand who knows how much recovery might be possible in that the current understanding of secondary progressive multiple sclerosis is incomplete. And I kept biking a little bit more every day. Then in October, Jackie says, let's sign you up for the Curry Drive. It's 18.5 miles. However far you go, it will be great. And once again, when I cross that finish line, my kids are crying, Jackie's crying, I'm crying. And that really fundamentally changes how I think about disease and health. It will change the way I practice medicine, and it will change the focus of my research. And I've since made it my mission. I also have this big, hairy, audacious goal, Kate, to such that every MS patient and really any autoimmune patient will be told when they're diagnosed that, yes, we may have these drugs for you. But just as important is addressing diet and lifestyle. Just as important is your wellness program. And I tell my medical students, my postdocs, that's a 30-year journey. I'm 15 years into it. We're halfway there. We're definitely making progress, but there's still more work to do. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And I think the people at home are probably identifying with so much of what you described, this deep love for your children and your family this drive that you've always had, just reading your book. You were teaching doctors, caring for clients, already doing so much. You had been an athlete at the elite level, and here you were feeling desperate, in pain all the time, literally not wanting to go on. And now you're in a completely different spot. Yeah, and what I want all the listeners to know is that it would have been a great life to have never had MS and to still be doing marathons and triathlons. And that would have been really quite lovely. But I love the life I have now. And will I be able to do marathons? Eh, probably not. But I'm changing the world in really profound ways. And had I not become so disabled, I would not have learned what I learned. And I teach my patients that I'm actually really grateful that I have trigeminal neuralgia, which is absolutely the most horrific pain I've ever known. You know, worse than broken bones, worse than post-op pain, worse than active labor by far, because it's now this wonderful continuous barometer of the level of inflammation in my brain. If the sensation in my face is a little bit abnormal, I know that microglia are getting reactive, that I'm beginning to have inflammation in my brain, and I need to think very deeply about what the trigger was. And I have to think very deeply about my level of self-care. And I got to fix it. So your symptoms are a signal. They are a signal. And I am super grateful that I have this continuous monitor for the level of inflammation and oxidative stress in my brain. And I now teach my patients that Pain is, yeah, can be a very helpful symptom. And to identify what is the symptom that tells you about your disease activity. Because mm. now that can be your continuous monitor. And that really changes the relationship that people have with their symptoms. It changes the relationship that they have with pain. So you chose to make your book about more than MS. It's about autoimmune disorders in general. Why was that? It actually... I think God whispered into my boss's ear, 
down Kaudru and he pulled me on and said he assigned me to the traumatic brain injury clinic. And at that point, there was no treatment for the traumatic brain injury. You're going to get better to whatever level of function you're going to get or not. And I come in and I have my personal experience and I started telling these guys, you know what, there's a lot we can do. We're going to teach you how to eat. We're going to give you some vitamins and supplements, really basic stuff. Just a hint of vitamin D, a little fish oil, and a multivite. Really basic stuff. And we started talking about exercise and diet quality. And we could tell the people that I saw, in fact, got better. Remarkably better. And in my primary care clinic, I started talking more and more to my patients about diet and lifestyle. And I was super effective. You know, the resident staff, they're patient with me. And I have maybe two or three minutes with vets. So not long at all. But I could get these vets fired up about eating vegetables. Wow. Really fired up. And they'd come back in, see the resident and me in six months, and they'd be remarkably better. And the VA began to see that I was having these remarkable results in the traumatic brain injury clinic and in primary care. And I got pulled out of primary care to create a clinic called the Therapeutic Lifestyle Clinic. And... We went to specialty medicine. I said, give me your most difficult cases. I'll take care of them. And we got a few, turned them around and remarkably successfully. And I kept having to reimagine that clinic with small group, then large group, then classes, because I wanted to let people come see me with complex chronic diseases. Usually had mental health comorbidities, diabetes, obesity, heart disease, very common, on 20, 30 drugs. we're getting them better. Blood pressure is better. Blood sugar is better. Pain is less. The thing is funny. So medicines are being simplified. Blood pressure is coming down. Blood sugar is coming down. So everything's coming down except for this one thing that's going back up. The guys are coming in and go, oh my God, Peter's working again. And they're thrilled because the sex life is back. <laughs> good blood flow. Yeah, yeah, good blood flow. <laughs> and so what I saw in my clinic, both in primary care and in the therapeutic lifestyle clinic is that complex chronic disease, the common symptoms are fatigue, pain, brain fog, anxiety, depression, with a wide variety of comorbid problems. Often autoimmune was part of that. And as we addressed the root causes, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, all those symptoms tended to diminish. The medication needs tended to diminish. And at first when I was doing this, my partners, they'd be, Terry, you can't use the same diet for every disease. That is just not appropriate. And I said, we all have mitochondria. We all have cell membranes. I'm just trying to focus on nutrition for the mitochondria and the cell membranes. And then watch for side effects so that I don't accidentally have people over-medicated. Now, so that was in 2008 as I'm transforming everything in 2009 and 2010. And then when we had our clinic going in 2012 and 13. Then it was very clear that it's a very radical idea what I was doing. Many of my partners were complaining. And I got hauled into the chief of staff's office. And he told me that your partners are complaining what's going on, Terry. And fortunately, I brought with me a, a handful of scientific papers. I went through them and said, okay, John, this is what I'm doing and why. I, and he said, but it's not the standard of care. You can't do that. So I leaned back and I said, okay. So send a, an email out to all of the faculty that we have to follow just the standard of care. And of course, I'll do that. And I smiled and I waited. And I don't know how long I had to wait. It probably wasn't as long as it seemed. Then John said, if anyone gets hurt, you'll go through peer review. I said, of course, I go through peer review if somebody gets hurt. 
And in the end, John became a huge champion of what I was doing. And he was very supportive, very supportive of creating the Lifestyle Clinic, very supportive of my doing clinical trials then. But in the beginning, people really thought I was an eccentric, strange person doing strange things that at first seemed really quite dangerous. And now here at the university, I'm celebrated, seen as this brilliant visionary. Even in the MS world, I was seen as incredibly dangerous, severely condemned on many fronts. And now I'm being celebrated as one of the grandmothers that led the way on doing diet and lifestyle research. It's interesting because you were a skeptic at first and you described that in the book. Tell us what convinced you. So I get diagnosed. And keep in mind, I am a professor. I'm teaching residents. I'm looking at the New England Journal of Medicine, latest research, and I get diagnosed with MS and I'm like, okay, I start reading, going to PubMed, reading the science. And I'm getting really upset because it's a progressive illness. And Jackie sits me and says, Terry, you have to stop reading. You're just getting upset. We'll find you the very best MS center in the country. You'll see them, let them take care of you. And so I do that. I go to the best center. I take the newest drugs. And three years later, I'm in progressive MS. I take metazantrone does not help. I take Tizabri, the newest biologic, does not help that I've switched to a self-sept. And I have very young children. My, my son is eight, my daughter's five when I'm diagnosed. I'm athletic at diagnosis. Within a year, I'm not athletic. Within two years, it's a struggle to walk. Within three years, I'm in a short recline wheelchair. And now I'm having to think, okay. And there's plenty of despair, plenty of despair. And I have to think pretty deeply what really matters to me, how do you parent, and that my children, I want them to grow up to be emotionally resilient, financially secure, and that they're going to have really terrible times. Bad things happen to us. Good things happen to us. We have to be willing to not let bad things discourage you. So I was like, okay, I have to keep doing all that I can and I'm asking myself, are you doing all that you can? So I was exercising every day. I did that part right. I was fine, a low-fat vegetarian diet because I thought that was the best thing. And then I'm like, well, you can still read. I know how bad this is. It's really bad. I might as well go back to reading PubMed. So we're back to reading PubMed. And the first year, I'm looking for disease-modifying drug treatment trials. And I realized, that's senseless. I should be looking at things I could access. So then I start reading supplement studies, and I'm looking at supplement studies with diseases of shrinking brains and spinal cords, and that gets me down the path of, I think it's mitochondria dysfunction that drive disability. And then I'm doing supplements, and I've already been exercising. I'm having to exercise less and less, and I discover the study using electrical stimulation of muscles. It was in people who were paralyzed, who were never going to walk again. And I talked to my physical therapist. He says that's for athletes. I can definitely grow bigger muscles, but I don't know for sure that your brain can talk to those bigger muscles. We might be making it actually quite a bit harder to walk. And we did that test session. When we started doing it, we really didn't know if he was helping me or hurting me, but I knew I, my mood was vastly better hmm. doing the E-STEM. Then when I redesigned my paleo diet, it was really quite stunning how rapidly things changed. And people in the paleo world want to think that my paleo diet fixed me, but I've already been doing the paleo diet five years. It didn't fix me. E-STEM didn't fix me, although I'm sure it was very helpful. 
there was some magic when I redesigned my paleo diet in a very specific way based on all those supplements, added the e-stem, that a spectacular, really spectacular change in the direction of my healing journey occurred over the next 12 months. And the way you redesigned it, it seems like, was to be nutrient-dense to meet all of your requirements for every single one of the vital nutrients that your mitochondria need to function every day. So that rather than this big supplement list. And I want to be very clear, I continued my supplements. I still take a lot of supplements, but I was really ramping up my food. And some of the things that I ramped up, I dramatically increased my greens and a wide variety of greens. And one of the things that I saw was I just had this incredible craving for greens. I was easily having six cups of kale, sometimes nine cups of kale in a day. And I'm having organ meat. I'm having liver. My mom, we had to have liver one day a week growing up on the farm. I hadn't had liver in quite some time. I went back to having liver and heart, gizzards and tongue. And I went back to fermented foods. We made sauerkraut growing up and went back to that. And if it wasn't organic, I wasn't going to eat it. And what I think is truly quite fascinating, so I'm remarkably improving and I now start going to scientific meetings. So I hadn't done that in years because traveling was so difficult. So I go to a scientific meeting and I can't quite eat the volume of greens and vegetables that I'm eating. People were like nine cups of vegetables. And I was easily having 12 to 15. And at about 36 hours when I couldn't eat that volume of vegetables, my mental clarity dropped. And it was like that for four years. And so I learned to travel with my cabbage. I also learned to take powdered greens with me because I just really needed to have those greens or my mental clarity dipped. What is fascinating was after four years, I think I apparently got caught up because then I could travel. And if I didn't have my huge bowl of greens, I didn't get into trouble in 36 hours. And I think when we look at nutritional research, there's something called a big U-shaped curve. If the nutrient, it's a big U-shape. If the nutrient is too low, you have symptoms and disease state. If the nutrient is too high, you have symptoms and disease state. This is for nearly every nutrient. There's a fairly broad level of optimal nutrition where you don't have symptoms and you have good function. Water is a critical nutrient. If we have too little, we die of dehydration. If we have too much, we have water intoxication. You can end up with a stroke and die from water intoxication. If you have zinc that's too low, it affects about 200 different enzymes in your brain and you're going to have severe anxiety, depression, and even psychosis. If it gets too high, you cause copper deficiency. And again, they get neuropathies, craziness, and psychoses as well. So I was probably severely low on a bunch of carotenoid-related nutrients that are really important for my eyeballs and my brain that I was severely low in that finally I got into the optimal range, which is really, I'll digress here just a little bit. I've since learned that I have, my mom died fairly young at age 65. She has three older sisters who all have macular degeneration and two went blind and had severe cognitive decline and dementia as complications of their macular degeneration. The youngest of the Koopman girls was actually a closer friend that we stayed in contact with. And I convinced her to 
basically adapt the Walls died. So she's still seeing actually pretty well, still reading, still mentally clear and doing very well. And when I go see my ophthalmologist, he tells me that he can see on my eyes some changes that would suggest that I too have those macular degeneration genes, but there's been zero progression of changes over 10 years. And my aunts that had the macular degeneration and blindness became blind and demented by the time they were 65. So some genes certainly that predispose you. But all those greens are tremendously good for preventing progression of macular degeneration. So even if you've got the genes, there are things you can do. There are things you can do. Okay. So one of the things I noticed when you changed your diet, it seemed like in your book, you lay out that you discovered there were certain nutrients that helped mitochondria function and you went in search of foods that provided you those nutrients. What were some of those? Yeah. So if you you memorize the electron transport chain, the Krebs cycle and medical school, but we never got instruction on how that shows up in the food supply. Mm-hmm. B vitamins, basically they, all of them are key nutrients and cofactors for how the Krebs cycle works, how mitochondria work. In addition, for those B vitamins are usually minerals. You can think of things like magnesium, zinc, selenium, iodine. These are mineral cofactors that are super important. Manganese is in there as well. And most vitamins will have a mineral cofactor. And agricultural practices, when I was a youngster, the farmers rotated crops and you put animal manure on the soil and there's not so much chemical fertilizers. Now it's the same crop goes into the soil year after year and there's a lot of Roundup on the soil. So in fact, the mineral content of the grain is less. The mineral content of meat has dramatically fallen over the last 75 years. And the vitamin and mineral content of apples, chicken, beef has declined. So minerals were very important. And I just mentioned them, magnesium, selenium, zinc, manganese, iodine. I think these are really key nutrients. The B vitamins, super helpful. Then things like lipoic acid and carnitine help facilitate a more effective utilization of fatty acids in the mitochondria as well. Coenzyme Q is another important cofactor. And coenzyme Q is in meat, but particularly in heart and in liver. Retinol, the fully formed vitamin A. And the efficiency that my body will convert beta carotene, the carotenoids, the plant-based retinol components, how efficiently I can convert that to retinol. There's a significant amount of variation. With that, so I like to have my patients have a little bit of cod liver oil or liver every week and a lot of color. We know that, actually, we didn't know at the time that I was figuring all this stuff out in 2008 because nobody was talking about the microbiome. Or if they were, I didn't know to read it anyway, that people were saying that all these polyphenols are so big, we can't really absorb them. They really can't be that important. And yet, study after study had shown that the more color that you eat, the lower the rates of diabetes, of heart disease, of cancer, of all-cause mortality. And so I had had this other really basic idea, Kate, was like, I should at least be doing the stuff that we know promotes good health. And so, okay, all-cause mortality, we could chase that. So that's more non-starchy vegetables, more color. So I needed to do that. 
we now know that all those big polyphenols, those antioxidants, those pigments, my microbes eat and digest. And the, some magic happens. I really love science fiction growing up, Kate. And one of the books that I thought was so cool was the books about the living spaceships. They'd have a pilot that would have this, put the other passengers in stasis. And then the pilot and the spaceship would get along and they'd go on to the next galaxy. And we are the spaceship. Our microbial passengers that live in our gut, that create cravings for us, that help us decide what it is that we want to eat, we eat it. And our microbial passengers digest our food, help us run the chemistry of our lives. It's a really interesting question. How much of who I am is a reflection of my DNA and all of the microbes that reside in my brain, in my bloodstream, in my bones, in my gut, on my skin? And there may be much more of a collaboration between all of the viruses, bacteria, and fungi than we realize. So not just eating to fuel your cells, but to also feed your microbes, the good ones. It's absolutely a collaboration and that our evolutionary history had us eating a fair amount of dirt. We ate progressively more meat, more leaves, some tubers, berries a little bit. The vegetables were not that starchy, not really. It was leaves, some roots, some dirt. And about 100,000 years ago, we figured out fermentation, we figured out fire. And 300 years ago, we figured out white flour and sugar. And in the last 75 years, we've figured out food additives to add to the food to create more cravings so we overconsume and wreck our microbiome. Part of what I loved about your story and why I think it's so interesting that your colleagues had the criticism, you can't give everyone the same diet. Because anyone who studied nutrition knows that human biochemistry, you need certain nutrients, regardless of who you are, if you are a human, for your cells to work well. I thought it was so profound in your book, you say, scientists are discovering that nearly all chronic disease is caused by four things, mitochondrial dysfunction, excessive and inappropriate inflammation, high cortisol levels, and microbiome issues. And if you look deeply enough, a nutrient-rich diet will heal all of those. Correct. And there are many ways you could structure a nutrient-rich diet. My folks in the Nordic world will have a healthy Nordic diet that's going to have a lot of fish, probably cold water fish. Folks in the rainforest, if they had a traditional diet, would have something that looks very different than what we might have here in North America. The debate is, what is the one correct diet for MS or autoimmune? I think we should rather focus on, there's one terrible diet, it's the standard American diet. I want people to begin improving their diet at a pace that they and their family can do that. And in my book, I've laid out a roadmap where you could begin. And if what you could do is the Mediterranean diet, that's fine. Start there, do that. If a low-fat diet speaks to you and you want to do the swank diet, okay, start there. If you want to do intermittent fasting, great, start there. If you want to do the Walls diet, level one, two, or three, or the Walls elimination diet, those are great diets. But Begin working on improving your diet at a pace that you and your family can manage. I think so many people might think, okay, I know Dr. Walls is saying I need B vitamins and magnesium and zinc and iodine, but I probably get all those. In fact, I probably get too many nutrients. 
And so I think it's important for the listeners at home to know that micronutrient deficiencies are quite common in the U.S. And in fact, number one nutrient deficiency in the U.S. is B6, vitamin B6, which is critically important for a number of functions in the body, including making neurotransmitters. Particularly if you're taking oral contraceptives. And I think contraception is really important. I don't want people having unwanted pregnancies. So oral contraceptives can be very helpful. But we also know that may lead to depletion of vitamin B6 and your B vitamins and some of your minerals. So I really like to see people with a autoimmune issue taking a B complex. I like to see them taking a variation that has activated B so that depending on your genetics, I know my genetics are such that I can't properly methylate B12 very well. As a matter of fact, I have several SNPs that led me to not manage my B12 levels. And my homocysteine was very high, very high. And I take an extraordinary amount of methylated B12 in order to have a healthy homocysteine level. And for the listeners at home, let's just clarify. So high homocysteine is cardiotoxic, so it can affect your heart, but also neurotoxic and can result in brain fog and fatigue. And it's caused by a depletion of certain B vitamins like B12 and folate. And when we look at my mom's brother's early heart attacks and some mental health issues. And my mom had early heart disease. And, and of course, I had early neurologic disease. And I had early depression as an adolescent and struggled with depression all of my life. Now, I did figure out that if I was athletic, my mood was much better. And then when I couldn't be athletic anymore, man, I certainly struggled deeply with depression. You mentioned in your book, actually, you consider depression and anxiety to be chronic illnesses, similar to the rest of the disorders you talk about. And so do you find that nutrient interventions and lifestyle interventions help to heal those disorders? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And for all the listeners, what I want you to know is we now know there's a prodrome. What are the symptoms that happen before the onset of multiple sclerosis or autoimmunity? And the prodrome, anxiety, symptoms depression symptoms or diagnosis, pelvic pain, endometriosis, infertility, asthma, skin problems, chronic headache and migraines. Like, oh my God, I got to have all of them, (laughs) all of them. And then I would eventually go on to develop trigeminal neurology and then dim vision. And there's color was difference between my right eye and my left eye. And then I would be ultimately diagnosed with MS. But it is very common to have these prodromes, headache, anxiety, depression, pelvic pain, severe periods, infertility for five to 15 years before the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis or inflammatory bowel disease or rheumatoid arthritis or systemic lupus or Hashimoto's or psoriasis. You talk about in your book how it was a shift for you as someone who was trained as an MD. You were trained to look for a set of symptoms and classify a disorder when it finally met the criteria, right? Okay, now you have enough symptoms to be diagnosed with X, Y, Z. But that shifted once you started to learn about natural and functional medicine. And I feel like I hear you talking about that a bit right now. Can you tell our listeners more about that? So I have a lot of folks who tell me they have a lot of symptoms. They want to get a diagnosis. And I'll say, if you want a diagnosis, go to the Mayo Clinic. But if you want somebody who can help you understand what are all the functional impairments that led to this problem metabolically, this metabolic chaos, these prodrome that is marching relentlessly towards an autoimmune diagnosis, 
I will help you address all of those factors one by one. And what we may find is that we'll never get a diagnosis, but your energy will begin to improve. Your fatigue will resolve. Your kids will be less annoying. Your spouse will be less annoying. It'll be easier to get along at work. And if you're on medications, we'll probably be having to reduce them. And then your physicians will start saying, whatever you do, why don't you keep it up? Because this is the best I've seen you. And instead of being on 20 meds, you'll come back, you'll be on smaller doses than 15 meds, then 10 meds, then five meds. Then maybe you'll still need just two or three. So I make it very clear that I want you to keep seeing your current physicians and let them treat your medical problems. I will work with you to improve your cellular health. And you don't need a diagnosis to start doing that. You can just start right now. We just start right now where you're at. And then if you're working with me, we work very closely to help you identify your life events timeline, your health events timeline. We look at your environmental factors, what you think were likely issues. That's have taught me, and my patients have taught me, and my clinical trial folks have taught me that we go back and start looking at generational trauma that may have happened to your parents, your grandparents. And we'll talk about the events around your birth and your early childhood. I was shocked. I've begun asking my patients and this big study that we did looking at using health behaviors versus standard of care. And I interviewed all of my patients and we talked about their life events, their health events. Everyone had extraordinary early life trauma. Extraordinary. So that got me thinking like, okay. And I went back into the research and people were just being to acknowledge that those of us with autoimmune issues, and which also got me, and I had, I don't think I wrote about this in my book, it got me thinking about my early life. And when I was eight, my sister died unexpectedly, which was enormously painful for my parents and my family. And of course, eight-year-old, they don't understand. It wasn't until I had my children that I understood the enormity of what had happened to my parents and to my kids. And I certainly think that was certainly not the sole reason why I developed autoimmunity. But it is a factor. So in addition to talking about nutrition, I talk about love and forgiveness and trauma. And we may send folks to trauma therapy. And we may talk with them about working with their spiritual life and how they can find forgiveness for themselves and for what happened to them. And do you find that helps people? It's been quite profound. I used to think it was all about the food. Food is really quite profound. But it's very hard for humans to do well without love. We often have to forgive. And you include, I had some big forgiveness that I had to come up with, including forgiving myself. Like many young people, I made some decisions that I deeply regretted. And also I spent 10 years of my life hating myself for some poor decisions that I made as a young person. And now, fortunately, I've since forgiven myself. But when I have that conversation with my patients... It's not uncommon that they're crying, I'm crying, mm. and it's a, another big transformational moment. So you mentioned trauma therapy. What are some of the other tools that people can use if they're thinking, oh, I think I need this? I think a simple thing that you can start with right now is the free write, is to begin journaling and writing about if you have thoughts about what might have been generational trauma 
or if you have thoughts about what might have been difficult, adverse childhood experiences. And these are death, illness, financial stressors, emotional violence, physical violence, severe poverty. Did you see that? Was that part of your life as you were a child? Did you feel safe? As an adult, do you feel safe? Those are things that you could write about. You could set a little timer, decide that I'm just going to write two minutes or 30 seconds or five minutes. Mm -hmm. I, and I'd like to have people do it by a timer. And so you don't have to spend any money to do that one. You can just do that yourself. And then you could talk to your primary care person say, look, I would like to have someone to get further guidance on how to deal with what I'm uncovering here. Likely your primary care person can help you with that. I know that it can be hard to find mental health support. And I know here in rural Iowa, there are not enough people to go around. And that's why I really like to encourage even that self-free writing can be super helpful. If you have a religious community, spiritual community, having conversations with your pastor or minister or priest or a mom or rabbi, whoever your spiritual leader is, that may be very helpful for you as well. I love that advice. There's also a ton of online programs now, too, that people can have a therapist that they Zoom or call. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there are some very innovative talk therapy that's happening online now. Yes. I appreciate that you are talking about love and forgiveness. And I think a lot of times people think those are more spiritual or ethereal concepts, but actually at a biochemical level. Yeah. Tell us what it does. It's profound. You can do things like forced laughter. You set up a little timer and do a ho, ho, ho for 30 seconds or 60 seconds. And we measure changes in the biochemistry from forced laughter. We can measure changes from just writing notes, positive affirmations. Terry is a good person. Terry is worthy of love. Mm -hmm. Terry is working hard. I like my affirmations to be less than 10 sentences or you know, less mm -hmm. than 10 words, ideally less than five. It should be short. And then so you could write them out. You could, and I practice this with my patients. You stand up, take up space and you mm -hmm. shout it so I can hear it across the state, that is super helpful. And when people do that, we can measure biochemical changes in their bloodstream. And so, okay, maybe that feels hard. If you could get a dog that you're going to walk or have companions, having a dog that you snuggle with boosts your melatonin. Again, we can measure these things. You could do your own self-massage of your face, your hands, stroking the bottoms of your feet, or your partner can do that. Or you could take a dry brush and brush your skin. All of those things, we can measure biochemical changes. And we can measure that if you do things like that, the cost of care goes down. The number of ER visits goes down. The number of visits to primary care goes down over the next year. So wow. what I want the listeners to know is you don't have to do all this stuff. Just pick one or two do that. And then you could explore another one or two things. When the pandemic happened and we're all feeling severely stressed, and one of the things that we started doing is at our meal, we would have a gratitude statement. And it might be just that the sun was out today. <laughs> or it might be that I was so glad that our daughter moved home and was living with us, that we're having a lot of fun with her. Or that this was that all the dogs in the world Felt like 2020 was suddenly nirvana in heaven because they had their big people <laughs> home with them. 
I love that that also speaks to a couple of things. One is how critically important the role of being a parent was in so many of the decisions you made about the practices you adopted as a family. If you sit down, you're talking about gratitude and love and forgiveness, inducing these biochemical changes where we see inflammation come down, which is one of the root causes of autoimmunity. You're, it's as powerful as a pill, but it's free. It is, absolutely. And I tell my two children, Zach, who's now 31, Zab, who's 28, that they saved my life. Absolutely. And Jackie saved my life because certainly it was a terrible future that was unfolding. I was enduring immense amounts of pain. And the fact that they were watching me like, okay, I can either give in to the despair that I felt and I felt plenty of despair, or I could acknowledge that they're going to face really hard times. They could either see me getting up every day, doing my little tiny workout, and know that every day I was reading a little bit of scientific papers, trying to figure this stuff out and do what I could, and that I would go to work and not complain. And now my children have, of course, endured ups and downs in life. They've had great success and disappointments and more success and disappointments. Mm -hmm. And they talk about how that impacted them, that, yep, life comes and goes. You just keep getting up and doing the best you can. So the prescription, I'm hearing if a parent's sitting at home and maybe they're in a spot where they don't know what to do. It sounds like for you, it was like, you keep going, you keep researching, you keep moving, you keep being grateful and practicing some of these methods you're talking about with love and forgiveness. You use health to optimize your resilience. And I think it's good to talk to your children and say, yep, this is difficult. And I choose to do And you could insert whatever little tiny next step that is. This is really difficult. And I'm going to choose to do 30 seconds of laughter every day as my self-care routine. And to say this out loud so your children can know that, yes, it is hard. And I'm doing this self-care in face of the fact it's even hard. Because you're modeling and teaching your children that, yes, life, you'll have hard times. And that there will still be things that you can do, even if you're facing hard times. And I tell my patients and my kids that we're all going to lose sometime. My parents died, very painful. Though I plan on living to 120, still thriving, you know, eventually I will die. We will all have to face loss and come to terms with that and how we move on. So it's not that we can ever cheat death forever, but I'm going to have a wonderful life. I'm going to have lots of meaning. I'm going to have lots of contribution. And perhaps I'll know. I'll have a little opportunity to plan and laugh anyway. Or it may be a totally unexpected accident. But we can always choose to be fully engaged in life and talk to your kids about that. Help them understand that whatever challenges that you have, you can choose to be fully engaged in your life. It's so powerful. I know people at home are thinking, I wish I had 50 hours for Dr. Walls to teach me mind, body, spirit, nutrition, movement. And I happen to know that you have a summit coming up soon where you have done over 50 interviews where people can learn all these things. So tell us about that summit. So I am so excited about this, the MS and Neuroimmune Summit. I've interviewed 50 folks. There were some clinicians. We talked about clinical protocols to reduce symptoms, improve quality of life. We talked to some scientists about some really interesting research. 
We talked to some entrepreneurs who have some really interesting devices and technologies that could improve function, accelerate recovery. And it's going to be from July 5 through July 11. It is free, but you do have to pre-register so that you'll get all the recordings each day. You'll get a little welcome to the day from me. You'll also get a little tiny commercials every day or frequently about the research that I do. So if you're a person with MS, you'll hear about the study and how to sign up and register for it. And if you're somebody who wants to support my research, we'll tell you how you could do that because the research that I do is so innovative and so interesting. We are supported by philanthropic donors to make the amazing stuff that we do happen. It's brilliant. Where can people go to find that summit? If you go to terrywalls.com, that's where my website is. And Kate, I'm going to connect you with Christy, who will get you the links for the show notes so people know where to go to sign up. So if the listeners would go to terrywalls.com, I'm sure we'll have some links on my homepage for people to sign up. But register. You have to register so you can get access to the videos because it's free. It's online. We'll have people from all over the world. My goal is to have at least 200,000 people attend. And you know, because we have a million people with MS United States, 2.8 million with MS worldwide, if you throw in the neuroimmune folks, that's millions more. So ideally, we get to have millions attend and be part of this global event. And experience the radical healing that you experience and so many of your clients have experienced. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have seen other folks who, like me, were wheelchair-bound. One of the women, really wonderful story, her son was going to get married. She hoped to walk him down the aisle at his wedding. And she was a formal Division One volleyball player, could take, really couldn't walk. She could stand and transfer to the toilet. And we got her going on diet, some supplements. I got her connected with physical therapy team that used the electrical stimulation of muscles, got her working. And I will say the people who are most successful are often former athletes because we get that it's training, it's work, it's not going to be immediate, the importance of nutrition. But she worked really hard. And in fact, she walked her son down the aisle at his wedding. Now, it's true, she couldn't have walked without her son holding her up, but she walked all the way down. And then there's an even another wonderful video. There's a father-daughter dance and there's a mother-son dance. So she danced with her son in the mother-son dance. She's still working. She's, and she, her gait continues to improve. So absolutely, we have these wonderful stories. It is work. Rehabilitation is work. My rehabilitation, I'm a former athlete, martial artist, black belt, fearsome person. Yes. My rehab efforts far exceeded the amount of training I did as an athlete. And the people who are most successful at rehabilitation understand that, and they are willing to put in the rehab time. But then they can get really remarkable results. You share a lot of stories in your book. I'm going to hold up my copy of your book, which is here, for our people who are viewing this online. Oh, that is beautiful. It's called The Walls Protocol, and it is hundreds of pages. It is so incredibly helpful. There's so many guides. But one of the things I noticed 
you look in the beginning and you have like accolades from every doctor, every important doctor on the face of the planet wrote an intro to this book for good reason, right? We have doctors saying a must read for all of us who want to see the end of the threats of MS and other chronic illnesses. That was Dale Bredesen. But you call your book something else. You call it a thank you to the Walls Warriors. Why did you choose to describe your book as an expression of gratitude? I am just so grateful to be walking and having this rich and full life. In 2007, I was going to become demented. I was going to become bedridden. I was going to have my face pain turn permanently on such that I couldn't swallow or speak. And I knew that was where how I was going to die, incapacitating pain. Instead, I'm out hiking. Last week, I was out hiking in Colorado. I'm out biking. I'm jogging. And so I'm grateful to have my life back. And I'm grateful to the millions of Walls Warriors who keep calling me saying, I have disease XYZ, and I have to go look it up because I have no idea what that disease was. And they tell me that they discovered my work. They're physicians that said, there's nothing more I can do for you. And somebody send them my TED Talk or my book, and they begin doing this. And their youngster wakes up, or they begin waking up, and they're saying thank you. It's a thank you to them. It's a thank you to the world that if I can come back from such profound disabilities to such a rich and full life, and we see other folks doing this, tens of thousands of other folks, I want all of your listeners to know, even if your physician said, there's nothing more I can do, that's fine. Let them do whatever they can do or not do. Just focus on, we're going to start improving the health of yourselves. And because life is self-correcting biochemistry, we might be quite surprised with how much recovery might be possible. With that, Dr. Terry Walls, I want to say thank you, not only for being on our podcast today, but for publishing the studies you've had, for doing the incredible amount of research that it's taken to come up with such an evidence-based book that has changed the lives of millions. Thank you so much. Now, much love to you and your family as well. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you loved today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? Our whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing and we so appreciate it. Don't forget to look up the MS and Neuroimmune Summit if you want to learn more from Dr. Walls. We'll see you next time on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast.